Good afternoon, everyone. Really appreciate the special music. We do have a lot of talent here in Charlotte. I think I can do most anything except uh, do special music. We do have 248 today and present, and uh, I'd like to talk about prayer for just a second or two. Pray for me for tomorrow. I'm entering the 100-yard dash. And the last time I tried it, it took me 10 minutes. So I hope I can finish. I do appreciate uh, Mr. Ames' kind word, and I want you to know he backs up the Wednesday night Bible study once a month. If he's not there in person, he listens to it over the Internet. Also, his wife is there practically every Wednesday night we have the Bible study. And I do want to comment on our young people. We have several young people attending the Bible study, and that is great. I mean, when you see that many young people coming from far distances and in the rain, coming to the Bible study, it means they're interested in God's Word and fellowship. And we really appreciate that to see our young people. You know, I remember in Global when we didn't have any. We didn't have too many young people at all, and now we have a house full. Believe it or not, a lot of babies coming along. Be sure to bring them to Bible study and services so we can teach them as well. So we do appreciate uh, everything all of you are doing and those good things that God has given to us. And uh, God wants us to succeed as Christians. He called us for that purpose to be successful, not failures. I don't believe he called anybody to fail. Do you? I know he didn't call me to fail. And I don't think he calls anybody to fail. He wants them to be in his family. He's made a way for them to be in his family. He wants us to change and grow that we can live with him forever. That boggles your mind when you begin to think about that. Eternity. I can't even begin to comprehend eternity or comprehend just how great God is, how powerful he is. Brilliant light. He is the light of eternity. He needs no sunshine. He is the light. And we are his sons, potential sons of his to be born into the family of God. Now, why would anybody throw that away? Well, what does Satan offer? Death, misery, pain, and suffering. Oh, yes, he offers a little pleasure for the moment. But there's pain and suffering afterwards. So this afternoon I want to talk on what deters evil. What is it that deters evil? I remember a few years ago I was watching a program. A Jew was emceeing the program. He was talking about the end of World War II. He said at the end of the World War II the Jews who were not massacred, or burned up. There was one synagogue in Germany that was not destroyed. And they were all gathered together in that synagogue, praising God, confessing their sins. And this one individual came in the synagogue, and he started crying uncontrollably. Couldn't. So the rabbi stopped, went back, asked him what was wrong. He said, I'm not a Jew, I'm a German. 
I was a German guard at Dachau. Every day I opened the gates where families went through those gates. And he began to quote something in fluent Hebrew. He didn't know what it was. He just memorized it from the people who were quoting that as they were going to the death. So he asked the rabbi what it meant. And the rabbi explained to him in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You'd like to turn there, verse 4. And this is what they were quoting in Hebrew as they were going to their death. Hear, O Israel, verse 4. The eternal, our God, is the Lord. He is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. On the death march, way to death, young and old, quoting that, loving God with all of their heart. Did they fear the gas chamber? Did they fear that? Or did they love God at that time? And these words which I command you today, and God speaks with authority. He doesn't say, I hope you will listen. He speaks with authority. This is what I command you, a command. And they understood that, which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You see, they did obey that command. They did teach their children to love God with all of their heart, with all their soul, with all of their might. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, so you would never forget it. It's like the prayer list Mr. Ames said a hundred and something so he wouldn't forget you know it's so easy to forget God's commandments it's so easy to forget God's commands it's so easy to get involved with evil and not even know it not even know what it is evil we're not even knowing that so shall it be when the eternal your God bring you into the land which he swore to your fathers to Abraham Isaac and Jacob to give you the large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill. Look, look what God was doing for them. Houses they didn't build, food that they didn't gather. God was taking care of his people. And he goes on to show uh, in verse 12, Then beware, lest you forget the Eternal who brought you out of the land of Egypt. From the house of bondage. And there again he was speaking of authority. Don't forget who delivered you. Don't you forget that. That I delivered you. It's like he's saying to the Christian, don't you forget I brought you out of the world. Don't you forget that. That you're not part of the world anymore. I brought you out. No one else did. When he was talking here... Then he said, he gives a, you shall fear the eternal, your God, and serve him, and shall take oaths in his name. So there it is. Now, does God leave it up to individual nations, individual people to determine what evil is? Or does God describe evil, what it is? 
Do we see the same evil that God sees? Do we tolerate evil, excuse it, and say that's just the way society is? We understand society is the way it is. Do we excuse it? Does God excuse it? Are we like God, becoming more like God? No, God defines evil, so there wouldn't be any misunderstanding, any misunderstanding what evil is. Evil is the greatest error that anybody can have in his mind. Evil is an error, greatest error. And we understand that. It's based on a false premise, always on a false premise. You think it's good to do evil sometimes, or it feels good. It does feel good to the flesh. But we have to understand what it is. People underestimate the power of Satan. Why did Christ then tell us, pray to be delivered from the evil one and the evil to come? Why would he say that? Because he probably realized in our day and time, we tolerate a lot of evil. that We don't see it. You know, when I was coming up as a boy, people had different ideas than we have today. I'm not talking about church members. I'm just talking about people... If a person got pregnant in that community, they were driven out of the community. They were taught it was a shame to do those things. And you never did steal anything. The whole community would whip you. You didn't have to lock your doors or windows. No, you were at peace. And you shared with each other. And you understood with each other. Then when... Germany came along, war, Japanese, and everybody started talking about how evil Hitler was, how evil the Germans were, Nazis, how evil the Japanese were. But they couldn't see sometimes themselves as being evil. They couldn't see that necessarily because they weren't like them. See, we're not like them. Not like them at all. We're different. Everybody else is to see but me. We're all different. So we cannot underestimate Satan, the devil. And I try to pray every day that God would deliver me from him. Don't let him use me in any way. Don't let him me misguide anybody in any way. Help me in that area. He's much stronger than I am. But God is much stronger than he is. So I don't fear Satan. You know, I don't fear the lake of fire. I don't fear the tribulation. I fear what God told me to fear. I remember back in the 60s, and some of you were back then, we thought the world was coming to the end in 1972. A lot of people came in because they feared the tribulation. Now, they didn't fear God. They feared the tribulation. Now, when that didn't happen, you see, it didn't happen, well, look how many people we lost. They feared that. A lot of people fear tornadoes. They fear earthquakes. But what, how much do we fear the one who can save us from those things? The one who has the power to save us from those things. 
So that's why we have to trace the evil back to its origin, where it, where it started. You know, Mr. Armstrong always said, start at the beginning of something. You don't go in a movie in the middle of it and try to understand it, or the end of a movie. You start at the beginning of something. So we have to trace it back to its beginning. So when God finished his physical creation almost 6,000 years ago with Adam and Eve, he completed the physical creation. He put them in the Garden of Eden to dress it, to give them a job to do, to keep them in the way of life. They were offered life with God or death with the devil. That's what they were offered. Death with the devil. You take of this tree of knowledge of good and evil is death. This tree is life with me. Then I can give you life. Our Satan can give you death. He has a knowledge of both good and evil. So they had to choose which one. And of course, as we know, if we turn to Genesis chapter 2 and look at that for a moment. Genesis 2. Verse 15, then the eternal God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. So he gave him a job to do of serving or taking care of the garden for God. He was working now for God, not idle, not sitting under a fig tree, not, you know, petting animals, but he had a job to do. In verse 16, and the eternal God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely. So he spoke with authority and a law. God did. Or all the trees that you're going to take care of, they're good for you for food. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Or in the days that you shall eat of it, it shall, you shall surely die. So if you break this command, it's death. That's what he told Adam. And he spoke with authority. He didn't say, Adam, please don't do it. No, he had a choice. He had a choice to do that, to take care of three. But 930 years later, he died. God told him he would die. But did you think he really believed God? From that moment, he drove them out of the Garden of Eden, drove them away from the knowledge of God, the teacher of righteousness, you see, a teacher of righteousness drove them away from him, so they had no teacher. And we know what happened from that time on, that the world ended with Noah. Peter called it the world then, that was then, was then. It was destroyed, that world was. It was destroyed except for one individual and his family of that generation of Noah, his generation. One person. God found grace in his heart. Of all the people that were living, he found one. Now when he says he comes back, it would be in the days of Noah. How many people is he going to find righteous? If you're talking about so few... Psalm and Gomorrah. They had three people. 
had four, but one turned back. Look at the few that stayed and feared God. Okay, you see, they both knew what evil was. Lot did not go inside of Sodom Gomorrah. He stayed on the outside, not to be in that community. So he understood that, what it was, how to come out. Think about that. Noah's generation, everybody was destroyed except Noah and his family, eight people. And God said he's the only one that he had found righteous. He was a righteous preacher. He preached the right way of life. But did that deter people from being evil? Did he reach anybody in that generation of Noah? Talking about his generation. Did he reach anybody? Or did he keep on growing in evil? That way. Well, let's just look for a moment in Second Peter three. Second Peter three. Now, I believe if you look at all the sermons that have been given recently from this pulpit by our ministers who have been teaching us the way of righteousness, avoid evil, come out of the world, do you love God? All of those things, brethren, should have an impact on us. Nothing should be any more important than what we've been hearing. Now, we can... Turn it off if we want to. It may not be real. I've heard it all before. That's what they used to say about Mr. Armstrong, those two trees. Not again, the two trees. I wish they'd get off that two trees. Can he speak on other things? So they say about us ministers, can't you get off sin? Oh, I'm tired of hearing sin. You're disturbing my sleep. You scare me. Well, good. If it's righteousness, you're embracing, fine. That's what we want. For you to be in the kingdom of God, but you don't know how to get there. You've got to have a preacher of righteousness to teach you the right way. See, It's been proven without a preacher of righteousness, you go astray. You have to have a teacher. And what has Satan done to his ministers? He's tried to destroy them. Well, who can you believe? I don't like him. He's too hard. I'm going to find me somebody who agree with me. We're all the preachers of righteousness. That's why God called us, to learn the right way of life, walk uprightly, integrity with integrity, so people can see it. So we turn to Second Peter. Chapter 3. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir you up your pure minds by the way of remember. And that's we have to be constantly reminded about something. Brethren, we have to be constantly reminded about the Sabbath. Or you start keeping it your way, your way of righteousness, what you think, 
see. We all have that problem. We find some excuse. A friend may be important. Somebody else might be important than God. God commands, commands the Sabbath day to be kept holy. That is a command. He spoke with authority when he gave that command on Mount Sinai. The earth shook. He wanted to get over to them. He meant business. If you want to be my nation, this is what you're going to have to do. To please me and not please the Gentiles. Not go after them. Not fashion yourself after them. You don't want to be like them. You want to be like me. The tree of life. Where it's all about. The tree of life. We reject it. Then we go to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What's pleasurable? Well, that's all right. Well, that's all right. You know, everybody gets pregnant. That's all right. Everybody lives with somebody. That's the way society is today. That's all right. You ministers are just old-fashioned. It's changed. Everything has changed. Has God changed? Has Satan changed? Is it his world or is it God's world? Is his world cut off from obey Satan or do they obey God? You see, it's easy then to accept evil. It's easy to make excuses for evil, which God hates. You know, he hates that in a way. So unless you have a teacher of righteousness, you really don't know the right way. We're taught, the, just like children, parents have to teach them the right way. They don't know. They may follow their friends. They don't really know. And they're disciplined when they go the wrong way. Why? Because you love them. You want to see them succeed. And they may think you're mean, old-fashioned. Well, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else has a cell phone. Why not me? Well, everybody else. I want to be like everybody else. I don't want to be like you parents. I want to be like everybody else. And that's what you're dealing with in society. What you're dealing with. So he, Peter here is talking about that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. And they were holy. And they were righteous. They taught the right way if they only obeyed, the people would have. If they listened to them. And the commandments of the apostles, which they all were killed, for standing up for righteousness. The unrighteous people killed them. It was not the righteous people that killed Christ who was righteous. It was the unrighteous people. It was people who... We're in competition with Christ. That did not want him to be the Savior. They wanted to be. So they had to put him to death. They had to get rid of him. And that's the way it works. Verse 3, knowing this, first the scoffers will come in the last days, walking after their own lusts. 
and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Well, nothing has changed. We've been looking for Christ since I've been in the church. It's always 10 years ago, 10 years, 15 years now, 15 years. So we get tired of hearing that. But are we ready for it? That's the key. Are we ready for those things? If not, whose fault is it? Because you hear the ministers preaching that and preaching that on the telecast. You know, the battle of Armageddon and so on, on Revelation unveiled at last, tells us what's going to happen in our generation. Do you read it for that point of view? Your generation? We're not talking about our parents' generation. We're talking about your generation. That is growing more wicked, more evil, accepting more things. All you see in the paper today is the same-sex marriages. People living together, shagging up together. One-time night stand. On internet advertising. I'm free tonight. You call that evil? Do you hate that like God does? Can you hate it? Well, maybe we should pray that God will give us a hatred for what he hates. If we're like God, we've got to learn to hate what evil, like he hates evil, and what it does to people in those situations. So Peter here is, is showing, Second Peter 2, but there were false prophets among the people, even as they will be false teachers among you. Well, do you know who they are? Or do you listen to everybody? Do you know who the false teachers are? He plainly shows in this here in Peter's generation, that generation, you had false teachers contradicting the apostles, scoffers, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the eternal or the Lord who brought them and bring them Bring on themselves the swift destruction. Their own destruction, their own evil way will be destroyed. They will be destroyed. See, in these situations. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Now you have churches accepting, performing things that God hates. They don't see anything wrong with that. Apparently, the congregation they preach to, they don't see anything wrong with that. Well, we're in the 21st century. We're not back in grandma's days. This is our generation. Our generation. Well, how many people are going to be saved out of our generation with that kind of attitude of our generation? And he just goes on, shows about Noah and about... Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and those situations. So the world that then was, that Peter said, ended with Noah. Now Noah did not die in his world. See, he was saved out of that world, he and his family. 
we're saved out of that world. So let's just go back to Genesis chapter 6 and read about the world or the generation that God said would be like our end time generation. The generation of Noah as in the days of Noah shall be the soon coming of the Son of Man. Well, he said, verse 5, Then the Eternal saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that ever intent of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. That's all he could think about. Sex and violence. All of those things. That generation from Adam all the way up there until God said, I've had enough. When sin reaches its saturation point, it destroys a nation. And God had to destroy it. And the eternal was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy a man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, birds in the air. In the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Lord. One individual out of that whole generation. It reminds me of how Mr. Armstrong started. One man preacher of righteousness in our generation, or my generation. One man started preaching, the preaching of righteousness. It began to turn people. They said, I've never heard anything like that. I never heard that before. But God found, Noah found grace in the eyes of, of the eternal. This is the gene, genealogy of Noah. Now verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. They didn't have God on their mind at all. They weren't thinking about God. Do you really believe they were thinking that God is going to bring a flood on the earth? Even though Noah was preaching, preacher of righteousness, the right way, do you really believe they believed that? Or were they mocking, scoff, enjoying their lifestyle? See, God did not condemn Noah's world for any particular sin. It was the way of life. It was the way they were thinking. Evil, he said continually, about somebody who's evil. About a nation, it's evil. About authority, it's evil. Now, I'm not saying we have godly men running the nations. I don't think they are. They lie. That's evil. God hates a liar. That's evil. You know, when we lie, do we realize it's evil? Are we exaggerate it's evil? That it is evil that we're practicing at that time. Until the truth sets us free. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood and so on.
Now, did God think that Noah's preaching was going to save others? He said, build an extra room on the ark just in case somebody changes their mind. Or he only found that in Noah. And nobody else was interested in God or what God had intended. And he told him, showed him how to do it. Now here again, he spoke with authority, build an ark. If you want to save yourself, build an ark. I'm putting you to work. That'll keep you out of this society. You have a work to do. That'll keep you from this society or that evil way. You won't get caught up in it. You're building something that's going to save you. So then verse 17, And behold, I myself am bringing flood waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is in the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, your sons, your wife, and sons and wives with you. There was nobody else mentioned. Of that whole generation, not another soul was mentioned except Noah, his sons, his wife, and their wives. Isn't that a sad commentary? From the time the tree of knowledge of good and evil was introduced to man, look what happened. Death. God had destroyed at that time. So he said he, he would establish a covenant with, with Noah, which he did, which God kept his promise to Noah. In chapter 7, verse 20, the waters prevailed 15 cubits, Upward and mountains were covered. And sometimes I've tried to picture that when the water started coming up. You know, you get up on if they had mountains at that time, I don't know. But if you got up, it did have mountains, but you'd go as high as you can with your family, rushing, because they'd probably never seen anything like that before. Trying to save their kids, maybe holding their babies up out of the water. And yet, you see, God was merciful. He was destroying evil. People wouldn't let it go, and they had to be destroyed. They were condoning evil, and it spreads like leavening. And so then God said, uh, And the fl all flesh died that moved on the earth. See, the animals and all those things you have to almost use your imagination see even the animals trying to save. Swimming. Everybody was drip, you know, were drowning like rats. That must have been a horrible sight for God to see, his creation. You think God enjoyed that? Or did he do it for the sake of the people? And understanding that. And all in the no whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. So God destroyed all the living at that time. Then chapter 8, verse 16. He told Noah, go, into the go out of the ark, you and your wife, your sons and your sons with you. Bring out 
with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they, they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, his sons and his wife and his son, sons' wives with them, every animal. And what did Noah do? Noah then built an altar. Showed his appreciation to God. Built an altar. First thing he did is built something. Then sacrificed. Clean animals to God. And God saw that, smelt that. And this is what God said then. When the Lord smelt, smelled, verse 21, a soothing aroma, then the Lord said, in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is what? Is evil. And God knew that. While the earth remained, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. But how long did that last? See, How long then did Noah, as long as he was a preacher of righteousness, but you remember, they all had one language. They wanted to build a city or a tower, not God's city. They wanted to build a city, and God came down and saw it and confounded their languages. They couldn't talk to each other, and they were driven out. So we began to see what the Apostle Paul describes this present evil world. He didn't say it was Noah's evil world back then. The present evil world. Galatians 1, verse 4, Paul says says that. Let's, let's just turn there. And Galatians chapter 1. <clears throat> and verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present, this present evil world according to the will of our Father. Noah in his generation said it was a present evil in his generation. Now there's one more world coming, isn't it? That's what we teach. A world of righteousness where Christ will rule. It's called tomorrow's world. It speaks of three worlds. Two are wicked but it doesn't say that about tomorrow's world. Why? Because you're going to have preachers and teachers of righteousness. They will teach the right way. God raised up Mr. Armstrong. He raised him up. And he started preaching the right way, condemning the evil practices of Sunday keeping and Christmas and Easter. Now, people don't see that as evil. At all. Well, it's fun. Well, they've put another God before the true God. Can they star deliver anybody? Can Santa Claus deliver anybody? Can they give life? Or is it death? So he put him on that radio to reach mankind. Brotherly love. So everybody could understand what was being said. As a consequence, we're here because of that. We heard the voice of righteousness. Ministers were trained 
in righteousness, sent out to preach righteousness to the congregations. That's all over the land. That was their duty. That was their responsibility to feed the flock. Preach righteousness. Condemn sin. And let people know that the right way of life. But it didn't last long, did it? We all had to start over. Didn't know where to go. What to do. Had nobody to tell us what to do. We know who was righteous or preaching righteousness. Until Mr. Meredith. Don't you think he preaches righteousness? The fear of God? The right way of life? Don't you think Mr. Ames preaches that? Doc Winnell and all others who stand here preach that to the congregation so they can learn righteousness? And avoid evil. The more you understand God, the less evil you commit. You come out of the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. We hate it. The world, that system that's destroying everybody. Destroying our kids with pornography. Destroying all everybody until God's going to say it's enough. That is it. That's Noah's last time. We're going to change the world. Coming to change the world is called, it'll be called, we're not sure what it'll be called, but it's a world of righteousness, where righteousness dwells. And we will be able to teach that because we're all being trained in that, brethren. But we've got to learn to hate this evil world, not people, the system that destroys people, that lies to people. And cannot tell them the truth. Now the Catholics and Protestants offer heaven as a deterrent of evil. Is it working? Is it working? Well, they're trying everything to get people back in church. You name it, they'll try to do it. Hip-hop church. they got a hip-hop church now. <laughs> Where do you go to church? I go to hip-hop church. Well, what do you believe in? Just hip-hopping. We have a good time hip-hopping. You need to come hip-hop with us. Well, what do you offer? Well, just how to dance. So that'll satisfy you. And we understand, brethren, what we've been talking about is what motivated Noah to build the ark. What motivated him to do that? What motivated him to do that? We can't do God's work. The people who are supposed to have been called to do God's work. Were they motivated to finish? Well, what motivated Noah? Well, it's found in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. Verse 7, by faith, Noah being divinely warned, see, divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved how? With godly fear. That's the fear, godly fear. It was the flood that moved Noah. 
It wasn't that that moved Noah. He feared God, that God could save him from the flood. He could save him. It's not the tribulation we fear. It's godly fear that can save us from it, that will keep his word to us. You've not denied my name. You kept my word. I will keep you then. It takes godly fear. Not the fear of the tribulation. Not the fear of the day of the Lord. Fear of the one who can save us from it. Fear of the one who can destroy both body and soul in gain of fire. That's what people, people are losing that fear of God. I'm not talking about church members. They're losing that fear. They don't believe he exists. They don't think he's coming back. Not the way they're living. They're not prepared for it. Look, I have friends. Lost that godly fear. Gone back to Sunday keeping. Eating all kinds of pork and so on. Keeping Christmas and Easter. They've lost that godly fear. They lost their calling. Why did God call them in the first place? Did they stay with it? Did God just call them to give them something? Or did God call them to give them a job? He's given the Philadelphia era a church a job to preach the gospel of righteousness or the kingdom of God. His righteousness to do that keeps us out of the world. The more your heart's in the work, the more you think about the work. And that's what impressed me about our young people. Seems like they're coming along about the work. They want to be a part of it. They want to be a part of headquarters. They look on that as an honor. Be a part of the staff. Preaching the gospel. Whatever they can do. It motivates you to begin to hate evil come out of Satan's evil world have the true knowledge of God that we don't have to guess what God wants we know what he wants why have we been taught it that way of life so that's he, he moved with godly fear prepared the, an ark for the saving of his household okay what's going to save me my wife not denying the name of God and keeping his commandments and preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's the only thing going to save us. Eternal life will be a gift. It'll save us from the tribulation. It'll save us from all of this. If our heart's in it. That's the promise. That's the covenant that he made at baptism with us. That we give our lives to Him. We belong to Him. He's our Savior. We've been chosen specially to do His job. That we can do it. A bunch of nobodies that the world looks down on. Because they say, you're not like us. You're not like us, you cult. You're different from us. Well, thank God for that. Somebody tells me that, I said, thank you very much. I want you to know I appreciate it as a compliment that I'm not like you. 
that I'm going to be like Christ. So then is moved Noah, prepared a house, just like a godly fear. And I've said it so many times, and, and Mrs. Nathan knows, we used to drive to Birmingham, Alabama, from Huntsville, Alabama. We were in Spokesman Club with their parents. We drove to Spokesman Club. Our hearts were in the work of God. That's all people talked about. They get the Bibles out. You see them talking. They're preaching to each other. They wanted to preach. They were so full of it. Then something happened. See, something happened to cool them off. They lost sight of their calling. Why they were called. And so they think then that God is some tenderfoot. He doesn't mean what he says at all. That I can manipulate God and get what I want from him. See, I know God loves me and I do. I'm going to wait till the last minute. I've got to see it rain before I go in the ark. I'm not going to go in seven days until I see it rain. Why go in? It's not raining. Well, when I see these signs, I'm going to start doing something. What signs? What sign are you looking for? When he's coming like a thief in the night, you'll be looking for that sign? What watch is he coming in? Well, how would you know without a preacher of righteousness that can help us to see you know, these signs that God has called us to witness and understand. I'm trying to get over as well the importance of a minister to you. You reject what he has to say. If he's preaching to you righteousness or counseling you in righteousness, there is no hope for you. No hope at all. And I can prove it from the scriptures, which I am in a few minutes. You reject his ministers, you reject Christ. Then you go and do what you want to do then. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Man, I'm free from that old Sabbath. I'm free from all of that. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Fine. But what will happen in the end? Because eternal death is not real. It's not real to them. When the end of life, unless it's lived the way God says, is death. You can't have a mixture of God's law and sin. So when God brought Israel out of Egypt, he gave them his law, statutes, his judgments, but that didn't ever, they never changed. They did not change them. They saw the miracles of God. They heard his voice. They saw the mountain shake. But that generation, that wicked generation, could never leave Egypt. So what did God do? He allowed them to die. They couldn't take evil into the promised land. But that next generation... The next generation that Joshua led into the promised land was the most righteous generation that ever lived. So if you go back to the book of Judges, and it shows you why. 
Now, Judges covers, some say, about 300 years. It's a bloody book. Has its up and downs. As long as you had a preacher of righteousness they, or judge, then they were fine until he died. So Judges chapter 2, verse 6. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went to each his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the eternal all the days of Joshua. They served him all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the eternal which he had done in Israel. So you see, you've got to have people that can keep you on the right path. And when Joshua died, the elders died, they got off on the wrong path again. Now you would have thought that that generation who went in there would teach their kids what God had done for them. For them. But that generation grew up and didn't know God. They said there was no teaching priest or king. There was none to lead them in the right path of God's commandments and His statutes and His judgments. And brethren, that's why you are here today. Why you go to the feast to learn to fear God, to respect Him, to stand in awe of Him. Be frightened of Him in one way. We're not, not always frightened, but I mean, we know what He means and what He says is what He means to us. <clears throat> That's why we need a teacher of righteousness, that we may learn, see, to fear God. If we turn to the book of Acts... Acts chapter 2, verse 40. Well, Peter here was preaching this powerful sermon. I mean, he pulled no punches, he was filled with God's Spirit. He pulled no punches when he was talking to the Pharise those Pharisees and others. Verse 40, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse or crooked generation. And that's why we're preaching. How to be saved from it. From this generation that's going to suffer. It doesn't mean God will give them salvation. It means they can be saved from it if they'll only obey and listen and overcome and grow and surrender to God. If they're cut to the heart as these people were. So Peter in his day said it was a crooked generation. But look how far it's come these last days we're living in. Have we grown better than Peter's generation? Have we grown better than Paul's generation? Or is it worse? Just like it was in Noah's generation. Or is it worse? Young people, do you think uh, your friends uh, try to get you to fornicate or whatever? 
Don't you think that's evil? If you hate evil, you won't do it. Adultery is evil. Lying is evil. He lists what evil is in Galatians 5. He tells you exactly what evil is. Lying is evil. Coveting is evil. It's not godly. <clears throat> so you have to fear God not to do it. Or respect your parents not to do it. Because the days are evil. More and more so. It's spreading. There's no way that any of us growing up where my brothers fought World War II ever thought that a lifestyle that God's hate would dominate the news, dominate our laws, whatever. They hated that. Now they say, oh, if it doesn't hurt anybody, it's no, I don't see why that's a big problem. Don't get involved with that. Don't, don't get involved with it. It's evil. And we can't do anything about evil. So God describes what we call the fruit of the flesh. If you practice those things, practice now, I'm not talking about you don't slip from time to time. But when we practice those things, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul brings that out in Galatians 5. He brings that out, that principle out, Galatians 5. Hebrews chapter 13 Verse 17, I think we all need to just look at that verse and think about it for a moment. Verse 17, obey those who have rule over you. Okay? Are your guides with such sacrifice, I mean, for they watch out for your life. As those who must give an account, let them do it with joy and not with grief. For what? For that would be unprofitable for you. So there is the key in one way, a preacher of righteousness. And Paul wrote this about three years before the tribulation there in Jerusalem. You know, they, they heard it over and over. They were tired of listening. They, Paul said, you need to be teachers. And you still, babe, you still want the milk of the word. You still get offended at the meat. You like the milk, sing us a good song, and yet the tribulation was coming that Jesus said would come. Don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves. He warned them as he was on his way to the cross or death. So Paul here said, look, the preachers of righteousness that can bring you through this, listen to them, what they have to say. Listen to, you know, listen to, don't say I've heard it over and over and over. Listen and do it. I'm tired of listening to it, see. I wish they'd preach something different. Mr. Mary's going to preach about sin. I wish he'd preach something different. Finally, play the violin, you know. It just it helps us to see that a minister who loves you will teach you righteousness, the right way, the upright way. 
And I believe when you're baptized, uh, who lays hands on you? Church member? Or a minister? Showing that you come under their authority to be taught a way of life, righteousness. And come under that righteous way, obey it, and you'll always have peace. Always. The fear of God is beginning, say, of something in those situations. <clears throat> in Proverbs 15, Verse 32, verse 33, verse 32, I'm sorry, yeah. He who disdains instruction despises his own life. He hates himself. He despises correction or guidance, hates himself. The fear of the eternal is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility, which means we learn one principle at a time. You can't learn everything once. One thing at a time. And I've heard people say, well, boy, I got this one point out of that sermon or sermonette. Well, you've learned something. So we can't let it slip. We had to put it in practice. If we learn that, we can't, we, we have to take instruction. Or we can say correction, or, but it's to help us. It's not to hurt us by any means. It's to help us to grow and become more righteous in God's way of life. In Proverbs 16, well, I got that. Yeah, 16, verse 6. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the eternal, one departs from evil. Okay? Then somebody has to teach that. Somebody has to teach that for one to depart. It hurts to come out of this civilization. It hurts to be corrected. I don't know if anybody wants to be corrected. But it hurts. It makes us better. Helps us to become more like God. Because he wants us to be like him. And we don't know how to be like him. We may think we do. But we don't. That's why we have to have teachers. To teach us. You know my daddy used to say. It hurts me more than it does you. To whip you. I said is that right? <laughs> I said that pain is horrible. But um, you know once he, he'd be arrested today for child abuse. But when he got through, you had to go get your own switch. And you just dreaded it. You'd go as slow as you could. You'd bring back a little switch, something like that. He'd make it go get one. So don't come back without a switch. Then you would come back with that switch. You just hated that. Then once he got through with it, you'd crawl off and go to sleep. And you'd wake up in the best attitude. <laughs> Some reason be a good attitude because you felt the pain. He said this act brings pain, and that's what discipline is out. This act brings pain. If you're called into something, it's brought to your attention. It brings pain to admit it. 
this act brings pain. We all have a cross to bear. Shameful. Painful. We all have that. I don't think anybody would want their life up here, show everybody their thoughts since they've been a Christian, all they've done since they've been a Christian. I believe we'd be so ashamed of that. Please, please turn it off. Or you'd all say, I never thought Mr. Lee was that way. He's lived a double standard. Look, look at <laughs> But we all have things we're ashamed of and done things that we're ashamed of. Why? Because we didn't know better sometimes. So in mercy and truth. So mercy extended after the judge sentence or after the judge. You talk to the judge, he tells you that what he's about to do, you ask for mercy. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on my soul. And atonement is made. At one with God is purged. If you go to the judge, admit what you are, that you need help, then God extends that mercy and atonement where you feel free. But it's the way we live. It takes practice to do that. Practice righteousness in those situations. Now notice uh, chapter well, 16, verse 16. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver? That understanding is precious. It keeps you out of pain. It keeps you out of suffering. It gives you peace. You can't buy that. You might go to the drugstore and try to get some tranquil pills. But this is what God says. It's, it's better to get understanding. He gives understanding to those who obey him. We have to obey so you can understand. It's not just reading the Bible. It's obeying the Bible. It gives you understanding. So I mentioned so many times I can read a book about how to drive a car. But that doesn't mean I know how to drive a car. You need somebody in there with you. That screams when you're about to end another car. <laughs> you have to have an instructor, say somebody to instruct you uh, in those. Then you get understanding. Then finally, you are trusted to drive a car after you take your driver's license. Then you hope you can pass the driver's license. Then you feel like a man or woman now. I got my own license. Now all I need is a car. So the Highway of the upright is to depart from evil. We're constantly doing that. Departing, leaving the path of the knowledge of good and evil. Staying on the path of life. This is the way, you know, Christ said. I am the way, and I am the life. I notice five, chapter 5, verse 12. And say how I have hated instruction, and my heart despised the correction. And one of our sad jobs, Mr. Ames and Dr. Monell and me, we have to read these DNRs. And it is sad, 
at the mistakes people make, the pain they go through. You almost go through with them. And they claim they made mistakes. But it, see, it doesn't change anything at all. And how sad that is to have to go through some of those things with people. And you wonder why they did it. Why? Well, it's instruction. We must follow instructions. We have to hate that way of life or we'll do it. We'll give in to it. You know, I've had young girls say, well, you know, I gave in. I didn't want to. I loved him, and I just gave in because I love him. I said, no, you lusted for it. It wasn't love. That's not love, is it? I believe God says it's evil, fornicating, adultery, uncleanness. Will not inherit the kingdom of God, those who practice those things. Now, people make mistakes. I'm not condemning people. I'm just saying that you make mistakes, but it's suffering. Always with you. It's always there. I wish I'd never done it. I wish I had to go back and do it again. Well, that's what instruction does for us. It helps us avoid those things we have to go through. Then verse 13 I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. See how important then a teacher is? They can teach us the way of righteousness, the right way of life, the path of life. And it's not easy being a minister. As all ministers know, it's not easy being a minister. You have to pray fast. You have to study. You have to be corrected. And there's a tremendous fear, fear of God, a misleading, a misjudging, things that, that could cause people to stumble. So when he gives that instruction like that, it's for our good. Now then, Mr. Ames. Here's a booklet that will help you. It's called, What is a True Christian? What is a True Christian? And it will help you, as we've been admonished. And the book of Revelation tells you about our generation. What is going to happen with our generation? And you got other booklets, Armageddon. What's going to happen? How you can escape those things. If we... Take the time to do it and read it and study it. Get it in our minds. Be ready to give an answer as we study, as we've been admonished to read articles, as we've been admonished in the prayer and the sermonette. Those things help you to come out of the world. It helps you, you see, when your mind is on God, on brethren, it just helps us to do those things. Then finally, let me, in Revelation chapter 6. Revelation 6. That's in the booklet as well. 
the opening of the seals, Revelation 6, verse 12. And I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves, caves and in the rocks of their mountains. They didn't call upon God at all. They wanted to hide themselves and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the Lamb throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For a great day of his wrath has come, and who? See, that's the question. That generation is going to happen. Who's going to be able to stand? So we ask that question. And if you were to care to look into the Bible... Find out what would be the condition of God's church at the most crucial time in history, world history. You would find the closer you edge toward the beginning of the millennium, the larger the percentage of God's church goes to sleep, become apathetic, tired, give up their calling in a way. You can read that about that last year's year. Fifty percent. We're not ready didn't have enough of God's Spirit to meet Christ when the cry went out. Didn't have enough. And he said, I never knew you. They could not stand. They didn't prepare themselves. That generation. And some of you, young people, may be in that generation. Some of us may be in that generation. But can we stand? That is the key if we're in it. Of course, you know the Philadelphia church is promised safety. They're not in it. They promise safety. But those who say I'm rich and increase with nothing, and nobody's going to teach me anything, I'm my own boss. I'll make my own decisions where they stand. They've never seen anything like this. No one ever saw a flood. He never heard the screams and the cries of the people who couldn't get on that ark. That's why God didn't allow him to open the door. Being human, he'd have probably brought as many as he could. But who can stand? Who will fear God enough to stand and say, Here I am, send me? It takes guts. As I mentioned Wednesday night, it takes a real man. As God dealt with Job, he said, Stand up like a man, Job, and listen. Don't be a crybaby down there, blaming everybody but you. Stand like a man. Stand like a woman. It's going to take a real man and a real woman to stand through this. It's not going to take a bunch of crybabies trying to get their own way the cell phone's got to go with me. It's going to take real men and women in that generation to stand. 
And we don't have too many of those today because of the feminist movement. A protected young men who like to get out and climb trees and fall out of trees and bruise their heels and wrestle and whatever, get mad, make up. It's mama's boy. Mama's boy. And they turn out to be effeminate, killing everybody. They can get their own way. You know, a real man's not going to shoot you necessarily. So who's going to be able to stand then if we don't fear God? To be delivered from this here. So as we walk in the light, see, and we are part of that light, and those who practice their own way will seal their own fate. Their own fate. So we must make the calling that we've been called to do sure and not be a part of that group that has to go through this horrible time that lies ahead when no one is prepared for it. Nobody's prepared for what is coming. We'd panic. If the dollar crashed, we're not prepared for that. We wouldn't know what to do. Have the gold, I guess, but uh, we've never experienced that like they did in the 30s. The crash, people hungry, six to a room. Didn't, you know, you didn't, they had no peddler to come by. They didn't have A&P and Kroger's and all. They had no peddler. You come by and trade a chicken for something or trade eggs for something, flour. You bartered. But they survived. They won World War II. They were men and women who did that. And that's what God wants us to be, men and women, in his sight. We stand like a man. We take correction like a man. And that's what he desires. Christ was a real man. The apostles were. Peter was. Even though he had to be slapped down a few times, but uh, he was still a real man. Mr. Armstrong was a real man. A real man. Powerful individual that stood for righteousness. And we have ministers here who are real men. Stands for righteousness. That loves you, that serves you, that want to help you to be in God's family. So let's listen then to what has been said from the pulpit.